you, David. Very good morning to you, and uh, a privilege and a delight to open the Bible, and uh, we believe that what has already been prayed will be our experience. I just want to tap into what David was saying to us, stirring our spirits up to have a a spirit of anticipation. There is a, a unique anointing that the teacher of the Word of God needs. And it's one that he prays constantly, or she prays constantly, that will be upon the people as well. I call this anointing divine ignorance. It's, it's that wonderful place where you know that you don't know what you're talking about. And uh, turn to your neighbor and say, look at him and say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. That's excellent. Not too enthusiastically, uh, but... but It sets the person apart. The person who knows that he doesn't know what he's talking about is very different from the person who doesn't know that they don't know what they're talking about. It's it's to do with defining limits. And, And one of the great divine ignorant people of the world was the Apostle Paul. No man spoke with greater authority and insight and revelation in the scriptures setting aside the Lord Jesus than Paul. Yet, yet he introduces us to himself in, in such a way that he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable is his judgments. His paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has ever been? And he's not saying, I have. No, he's, he's, he's entered into a realm where, and he was academically brilliant. You couldn't be a member of the Sanhedrin unless you were clear. He'd definitely been to Mattersy. He'd come under the teaching of the finest faculty. He, he, he really was. He was there. Yet, his journey in the realm of revelation and the word of God anointed by the Holy Spirit made him understand that he was profoundly ignorant of the majesty of the God who he served. And I'm quite excited about that. To, to be able to be given the authority of the Holy Spirit to open the Bible and yet to say to you, I am lost in the majesty of who Jesus is. The magnitude of his word. If I, if I corrupt Paul's great anthology out of Ephesians and say this to him who is exceedingly abundantly beyond all that I can teach, imagine or think to him be all the praise and all the glory he's exceedingly above it and and yeah we could have a, a little moment or two being lost in praise and worship of the greatness of God but the thought that I want to present to you as we lay a foundation this morning for the rest of the day is that he has stooped down to us to make us great. I am overwhelmed by the possibilities that 
I am made in the image and likeness of this God. And, and I want to raise your expectations. Whatever your experiences, a, a relatively mature group of people here this morning, that, that, that don't believe that you are in the last chapters of the book of your life, but, but, but come to a level of faith that actually you're not at the end of the book, you're at the beginning. And that God hasn't even finished the first chapter of, of the potential of what He can do in you and through you as you hear the Word of God opened up. I was, um, I was uh, get, get this into your spirit. A, a, couple, uh, a month or two ago, Pauline and I were watching uh, 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 a historical drama. And uh, in the first episode, a character emerges and his name is Petifer. And I thought, oh wow, you know, because it's not like Smith or Jones, is it? Petifer. Uh, imagine my delight when the second episode comes and his name is John Petifer. Wow, I'm cooking on gas. This really is the real thing. And, and I'm not bothered about the story, I've got a hero. <laughs> Episodes 3 and 4 get a little bit dubious. He's not quite the guy that I want him to be. And he ends up a villain. And, and I, I'm outraged. I think this is not on. He didn't become the man I wanted him to be. Well, if I started out a villain, I need you to know that Jesus has got a great outcome for you, for me, and for every one of us. And so, and so, get that spirit of anticipation in your heart as we, we open up the Word of God this morning. There's something unique about prophecy in, in that it transcends the covenants. The Old Testament reveals to us that one of the primary sources of God speaking to mankind and his people was the prophet. The anointings were uniquely on the priests, the kings, when, when the monarchy came, and the prophet, originally through the prophet and through the priesthood, but always being a stream. And then, even though much of that old covenant life has come through the cross and reached its conclusion, nevertheless, through the ministry of Jesus and the deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he gives some to be prophets, the Ephesians 4 gifts, and he gives within the dimension and the realm of spiritual gifts, he gives the gift of prophecy. It, it streams through. And uh, I, I'm not going to attempt to, to do a bit of an analysis of that. Um, he's a, we'll probably reference it in his own gift and teaching this afternoon. But I want to lay a foundation that, that finds into faith, that, that brings our faith into levels of expectation and ultimately into our experience of the prophetic. And to do that, I'm going to kind of camp myself at one of the most familiar passages in the Old Testament. And we find ourselves just a couple of observations for us this morning in the book of Joel. And familiar words that you know so well. Let's read them. And afterward, in those days... I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old man will dream dreams and your young man will see visions. And even on my servants, both man and woman, I will pour out my spirit in those days. For what for us as Pentecostals is a gloriously acceptable and, uh, and worthy of reference consistently, we, we, we have to penetrate into the culture and the mindset of the hearers of that word from Joel. And that prophecy to them was incredibly radical, mind-changing, and culture culture busting. It was not a pleasant prophecy to hear. It shook them to the very foundations. And, and it's back to that theme of, of letting the Holy Spirit shake us in our culture, in our settlement, around the prophetic to stir up some of the things that he wants to say to us. And all we'll have time for this morning is to focus on two elements that come out of Joel's prophecy. The first one is the essential need of revelation. We need revelation. I want to say that to you in the context of an information-centric world, where the, 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 the highway of technology, of multimedia, we, we can Google anything we want. We are bombarded with information. And, and thanks be to God for it. Let's not, let's not have a, a bit of a moan and just say, oh, that's terrible. So no, no, we're, we're, the access of information enriches and empowers our lives. But the prophet here was saying, you need more than information. You need revelation that comes by the Spirit of God. And there would be an influx and a manifestation and a magnification of the essential tools of revelation to his people. The second thing that I want to observe is the universality and the liberality of God's grace. It touches us to see that God, in saying what he wants to say, thank you, is not only talking now to a specific few, but he is actually putting the screws on us. He's saying, not only am I affording you with the opportunity of having divine revelation beyond your experience, beyond your intellect, beyond your learning, but you are included in that company of people. I'm hugely challenged by that. By years of study, the experience and the knowledge of God that I've got, and I'm grateful for it, I am overwhelmingly challenged that the interpretation of that word is there's so much more for every one of us. And so, we'll, we'll, we'll press on. The essential need of revelation. Perhaps one of the most intriguing passage in scripture in the New Testament we find the Apostle John referencing in Revelation, the book of Revelation and chapter 19 and, and it, it, it's, a, it's a, at the end of a, of, of a particularly stunning vision and he says this worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Yeah, Selah, pause. 
So it's a nice one. It's good. It's about Jesus. And we like testimony. And we like prophecy. So, oh, that's good. Amen. We believe that one. So where in the world does that statement match up with our plans, our organisation, the way we function as church and in our lives? And all of a sudden it's a little bit confrontational. What are you actually saying, Lord? That, 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 that if some thus saith the Lord on a Sunday morning for five minutes, yeah, then, 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 then Jesus is glorified. Well, I'm not being sarcastic. Jesus is not glorified. And we are permitted to say the Lord says these things. But, but, but there's, two, there's two little emphases that we need to work on here a little bit. First of all, the word testimony. The word testimony here means the attestation, the, the, the firm, verified witness. The true witness, the true evidence. My background is engineering and and uh, precision engineering, where, where parts were made to interlock with one another at such fine margins that if you looked at those interlocking parts, you just think they were one piece of metal. But they fulfilled special functions. And as an engineer, uh, and in my developing days, I was, I was trained as a tool maker to, to, uh, in able to understand some of this technology. We had to make these interlocking parts, and when these parts interlocked, <coughs> occasionally you'd find where one part rubbed against another part. And uh, we didn't want that, but where that part rubbed encountered the other part, it was called a witness. A witness is someone that has been contaminated, that has encountered another substance. He says, you are evidence that your lives have been corrupted, interrupted, contaminated, infused by the living, sovereign Son of God. That's what he says about you shall be my witnesses. And then, and then, and then he goes on, he, said, he talks about, it's interesting that word witness because it's the same root as the word martyr. They died because they are touched. A witness is a martyr. A martyr is a witness we've been touched by. And then he talks about the spirit of prophecy. And, and it's, what he's saying here is, is, is endorsing what I've said just a moment or two, that he, it is a revelation of the essential nature and work of the subject. He, he, he is, he's, he's all of a sudden, if we paraphrase the testimony of Jesus as the spirit of prophecy, we say, we say this, we worship him. We give glory to the Lord by being witnesses to and bringing evidence of the Lord Jesus that by the Spirit we bring an insight into his essential nature and work. Now, it's a bit of a mouthful, but basically it means that we're the real deal. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He's saying to us, there is nothing 
that I've ordained that will authorize your mission on earth to save the lost, to make disciples, to preach the word, to declare your faith, then the indwelling power of the Spirit that transforms your life and melts others with the Spirit of Jesus. Yeah. I think that's worth an amen. And I think it's a worth a, oh my God. Because those of you that are church leaders, or those of you that have got responsibility, we need to ground. Because he says to us this, he says, he says, you shall receive power. From a, from, a, from a traditional Pentecostal background, I get a bit frustrated about our fathers who, who placed imperatives, that means priorities, on certain parts of scripture and neglected others. Going to all the world and preach the gospel, I was brought up on a go mentality. Nobody talked about making. We go in order to make. And then the great conundrum of the gospel today is how do we get, do we get more numbers or do we produce more soul winners? And the imperative is both. We both go and we both make. And I have to quantify my time and my input to make sure that I am inspiring people to go and be a goer myself and at the same time being made in his image, make others to be followers of Christ. And here's the other imperative that we're talking about here. He says, you shall receive power. We panties love this, but rubbish and die, come on and die. I can speak in tongues and I can tremble. And if I go to Pensacola, I can lie flat on my back. Ooh! I'm a bit old-fashioned, that is there. No, no. I receive power so that I encounter the living, vibrant, essence, DNA, being of God. That's called supernatural. In order that you might find Jesus in me, and that I might hear the Spirit of God in you, and all of a sudden the Spirit of prophecy is an organic flow of life rather than some mechanistic ritual that we can tag on or put into little sections of our meetings. All of a sudden the, the expectations are getting a bit higher, aren't they? The possibilities of, of saying, oh God, this is where I, I, I want to be. It's a bit more than education. So back to Joel. The prophet declares that the Old Testament shackles are to be brought off the whole world of revelation. The radical statement. We've seen, he, said, he talks about the proliferation of prophecy, dreams and visions. The, 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 Peter will probably be able to endorse this a little bit more if we went into a study about the, the mechanism of communication of God's word to that covenant people. It would be very different to what we have today. Even in the establishment of, of the canon of scripture, the Old Testament was not the scriptures they used in those days. There was only part of it, predominantly the, the, the Torah, the law. There was, there was 
there was a, a progressive journey to the introduction of the Psalms and the historical books were ongoing being written. So fundamentally, the, the, the preaching was from the law. Their communication with God was from obedience of a legalistic system that worked because there was grace in it that if they loved God with all their heart and obeyed his words God would bless them and God knowing that they would not keep that he raised up prophets to bring them into line of the law it was a very very different and and they were used to this and all of a sudden the Joel prophet comes and says, I'm going to break into this massively with prophecy, dreams and visions. The day was coming when the word did become flesh. The day was coming when the word came to all flesh. This, this release of revelation comes to us. And it really needs to be seen in two ways. Which again is one of these imperative challenges. That, that the gift of prophecy is both given to the church and to the world. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is a testimony to the church and it's a testimony to the world. The foundation of free faith, its food of faith, its essence is all in revelation. And, and I'm grateful for that. Just, just for a, a moment or two, a, a couple of anecdotes of, to endorse how my life has been shaped by the prophetic. It's, it's, it's truly astonishing, and every one of you, if you care to reflect, as David was encouraging that we believe or hear words from God, well, one of the things the Holy Spirit will do will resurrect words that have been spoken over your life from times past, bring to your remembrance things that you've long forgotten, as well as bring fresh stuff. My mum was a, a, a thorough out and out Pentecostal, and um, she she became. Uh, a pen friend of a young man who was the nephew of one of the church members. <clears throat> this was 1940. And the young man was in the, the 7th Armored Division of the 8th Army under the command of Montgomery. And he was in North Africa. And he came home on leave. And um, my mom took a bit of a shine to him. And, uh, and they started to write to one another. And my father was saved. He had a remarkable war history, but was saved because he believed that the prayers of these people were actually influencing his life. And my mother, being what she was, fell in love with him, and he gave his life to Jesus, and that wasn't enough for her. She needed to know, not that he was only baptized, but he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so being a good husband to be, and a submissive bloke, as we all are deep down, he, 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 he duly obliged and got saved, got baptized in water, and got filled with the Holy Spirit. And when my mother had given him the triple lock endorsement, she finally agreed to marry him. And, um, power to the people. And, um, 
God honored her faith and that, 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 that came and then that came through that she uh, 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 less than a year after marriage she became pregnant and, and I was one of those baby boomers uh, post-war generation um, and my mother my mother prayed for the baby in the room and the pastor of the church prophesied over me when how many weeks in the room I was that he will be a teacher of the word of God. My mother, my mother took that prophecy and immediately made a decision that in her study and reading of the scriptures, she would always read the scriptures out loud, speaking to the baby in the room by faith. I, I, I truly believe I was birthed in the word of God. The prophetic, it's, it's, it's utterly, compellingly directed my life by the grace of God. And I, I birthed, well, it was there. Uh, but I, I come into youth, I come into teenage years, <coughs> I become the youth leader of my local church, and I'm stirred by the fact that the calling of God is on my life, I don't know what to do about it. I was one of those, this is in the days that there was only one way into the ministry, and that was to go to Bible college. And, and I, I, can't, I can't articulate this other than it, it wasn't deeply arrogant or big-headed on my behalf, but I had an increasing sense of certainty that God was saying to me, I don't want you to go to Bible college. And, um, and so I talked to my pastor about it. My pastor had a remarkable change. He didn't like some of the things I was doing as a youth leader lifestyle and put a bit of a shutdown on my life. But, but ultimately he, he, he said, I believe God's called you into the ministry. And I said, yes, he has. And, and he came to a conclusion. He says, the only way then to get you into the ministry is to write a letter to the top dog of Assemblies of God asking him for a church. And he was like the Pope in those days. And, um, <laughs> And uh, I'm not going to be facetious, I could go off on one now. Uh, but um, but uh, he, he was seen like, like the Pope. And I said, I can't do that. And he says, well, I can't see any way. So he says, come to my house on a Wednesday night and I'll write you a letter. I'll write an endorsement and you can write a letter and we'll level it together. And I was very uncomfortable writing it, but I said, okay, I'll do it. That was the, that was the plan for the Wednesday night. On the Tuesday evening, the phone, the phone rings. And a voice says to me, are you John Pettifer? I said, yes, I am. He says, you don't know me, but would you consider becoming the pastor of our church? I said, what? Who's been talking to you? And the man said, well, I think the Holy Spirit. So I, I said to him, you know, a man full of faith, I said, I need a lot more than that. So, where's he come from? He says, uh, I, I love God. God makes me laugh. He's the best comedian on the planet. God, and this guy said to me, he says, well, God's been talking to me. I'm in leadership, but I feel that God said to me, I've got to go to Bible college. Don't go to Bible college. Go to Bible college. Create a space. And he says, I've been praying. And the Lord said to me, go to your diary. And he says, I've got a diary, so I've got to my diary. And he said, and the Lord says to me, no, not that one. And I've kept, he says, I keep uh, in my bookshelf all my past diaries. And he says, I've gone back. I'm about seven years old now. 
And he says, that one. And he says, I flipped through the diary. And he says, I've come to this page. And in it is the name John Patifa. Telephone number, so-and-so. And the Holy Spirit says, he's the one with him. Wow. Hello? Yes. 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 God, God, now, don't lose what I'm saying here. Because this is not my story. It's my God's story. My God is your God. And so it goes on. At birth, at youth. I, 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 I could tell so many more. And, 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 and when we think about these things, about, life, about ministry, let me, let me just say this about, about life and, and God's goodness to us out of prophetic words. Paul and I have been married for five years. And we decided it was time to, to have a baby, to have a family. And seven years later, we're still trying. Seven years of heartbreak, seven years of fertility treatment, of all kinds of failed expectations. And in a difficult place with God. Because we had so many people loving us, giving us words, giving us encouragement, that we came to a place after 12 years of marriage where broken heartedly before God we said Lord we don't believe these words that we've been given and the reason why we don't believe them is they come from people who know us who love us and we cannot overcome the barrier of love and wishful thinking rather than a certainty that these come from you and Pauline said to the Lord she said if you're going to speak to me, Lord, about a baby, and if we don't have a baby, we don't have one, I need you to say something from someone who knows nothing about us. And, we went, and I got a phone call from a friend of mine who led the church in Jacksdale, and he, he said to me, I've got David Willows coming over to preach. David Willows is John Andrews' father-in-law. And he says, will you come over? Basically, he just wanted me to fill the numbers up for him. Uh, which pastors do that sort of thing, you see? And, and, um, and, uh, anyway, I won't tell you that David Willows was rubbish. He was, he was one of those who didn't know that he didn't know what he was talking about. He, he, he really did not have a good evening. And I was conscious that much of the day was on in half an hour. Was, and, and, was desperate to get home. And then, and then David finished and he says, who wants a blessing? Nobody wanted a blessing. There was no response whatsoever. And he said, I feel that God wants to bless you people tonight. And he says, I want you all to stand up. And then it got serious and it got tremor time because he says, all of you to this side, go over there. And then he says, all of you this side, go there. And, and then he pointed it to me and says, my brother here will pray for you as I pray for them. And I said, I don't want to pray for him. I want to go and watch much of the day. I think they're being rubbish. They're useless. And then he starts to pray for them and the power of God comes over these people. And I'm saying, oh God, depart from me, a miserable sinner. I have failure. Oh my hypocrisy was exposed by God blessing people people there and, and God started to bless started to have words for people and the spirit of the Lord came and there in the queue was my wife because she picked to come to get something from me not this stranger and halfway through the line he, he looked across and says young woman 
I've got a word for you. You come into my line and pointed, pointed and went across. And I was praying for people. What's he saying tomorrow? <laughs> and um, he spoke to her and she started to cry. And the meeting ended and we got home and much of the day was no longer important. And she just says, he's given me a word. And she said, I know no matter how long it takes, we'll have a child. And my dear friends, within two weeks, my wife was pregnant. Because the word of the Lord proves truth. Are you, are you getting this? That, that, that this God of ours who places an incredible priority and importance on revelation wants to speak into our lives not only for his own namesake, for ministry, but into our lives for our good and for our blessing. Truly I can say, through the prophetic, the Lord is good. And every one of us are in that place this morning. Must go on. If if the spirit of revelation is is to the church, it is also to the world. As I've already said, the culture of dreams and visions was the primary root of of God speaking into Old Testament culture. I find it very fascinating that in terms of cultural relationship with God, the Muslim world is very similar to the Old Testament world. The imams are the teachers, and they 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 fundamentally rely on hearing from God, not by preaching, but by dreams and visions. There's, there's a book out at the moment, there's, there's several books actually, but there's a book out called Dreams and Visions. And it's, it's, it's a phenomenal story how tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of Muslims in the Middle East are having dreams and visions of Jesus. They're turning to Christ in multitudes. It's one of the primary reasons why ISIS is operating the way that it is. There is a, a deep disturbance within the heart of Islam that, that thousands of imams and ordinary followers are having dreams and visions of Jesus. I'm, I'm excited about God moving in the world. I, I, you know, by all means, we want to be contemporary. You say, well, that's great, John. That's in the Middle East. But, but, but we're in 21st century England. We've got to be relevant. We've got to be contemporary. We've got to be cutting edge. I, I, I accept every one of that and embrace it totally. But in the context of all that, the very heart of our missional focus should be that we are full of the Holy Spirit and there is a revelation of God's heart to a dying and needy world. And and the hope of the world is a Pentecostal church. That's the truth. It's not arrogance. It's a church that operates in the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I was just um, sorting out some of my books in my office and, and picked up um, David's book, one of the books that he wrote in 2003, uh, Four Dead Men Speak, and he did some, he did a book on the minor prophets, very good. And uh, and just I just opened it up and where I folded it over for to do some study or reading and I, I read this that in 2003 he was talking about that in 2003 there were 533 million Pentecostals in the world. I was immediately intrigued, so I googled it. 
and Google came up with figures for 2014. 2014, 
their hierarchy. And to top it all, he says, I'm going to pour it out on all flesh. And all flesh there in that Hebrew means racial flesh. Not just the covenant people of the Jews, but the Gentiles alike. All of a sudden, the bubble of their religious elitism and their uniqueness that we are special to God is burst by a revelation that God's covenant to them was not being broken, but God's covenant to the world was being extended through the coming of Christ the Messiah and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that all gender, all age, all talent, all races, all nations should come under the calling of Almighty God and be available and accessible to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Wow. I'm inspired by the possibility of Pentecost touching our world and our lives today. He, I, I use just for a moment, can I five more minutes? Is that all right? Um, I've been doing a bit, I've, I've doubled in my, in my meditations in the Minor Prophets. <coughs> I, love, I love Haggai and Zechariah. And, and, uh, just a few observations to make about it to, to, to get us into the spirit that God is talking to you I love, I love that the God's choice of diverse personalities now it's quite interesting if you do your research it's not much research you just read the only verses of both books the word of the Lord comes to Haggai on the first day of the sixth month of the second year of Darius the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah on the eighth month of the second year of Darius. In other words, God speaks to Haggai about eight weeks earlier than he speaks to Zechariah with the same people. And you look at the prophecy of Haggai, Haggai was a Yorkshireman. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just love it. The first prophecy that Haggai has, he says, the Lord says to Haggai, go and tell my people that I am with them. And he says of Haggai, he says, thus saith the Lord, I am with you. And then he went home. I mean, just imagine if, 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 if I got up this morning and says, thus saith the Lord, the Lord speaks. Cheerio. You know, you say, well, we're being shortchanged. I mean, I'm, they're paying for me dinner afterwards. See, I've cheated them. But, but get this, the anointing of the prophet was such that those succinct, abrasive personality he was, the word of the Lord was carried. Eight weeks later, you find Zechariah. Zechariah is a poet. He's an artist. He's airy fairy, he's all, he's no linear lighting, he's all curves. He, he likes pastel shades and he, he works with a, a nice bouquet and, and, and he has a party with rings on him. And he's not my kind of bloke at all. And, and he's airy fairy with all kinds of stuff and he sees the heart of God in his visions. I just love to be an eavesdropper on Haggai and Zachariah having a beer together. Uh, it would not be, uh, well it would be just interesting, but the God of heaven chooses one and chooses another at the same time and speaks. Zechariah, Zechariah has this incredible vision story, we won't read it for time's sake, but it, it concerns the high priest Joshua. And... Um, 
and 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 Joshua the high priest he's, he's a real figure he's not an imaginary figure he existed but he sees Joshua the high priest brought by Satan into the presence of God and Satan accusing him and the subtlety of Satan is this he used the truth everything that he said about Joshua was true about his ministry about his life about his brokenness and about the people he's failed he's failed he's failed and, and the devil has got plenty of evidence against you and me, friends, to come and condemn us. But I love my Jesus. Because he doesn't say, Joshua, I rebuke you. He says, Satan, I rebuke you. And we see this amazing catalogue, which I call the mirror of grace. Where God looks at the broken life and the failed ministry and the, and the, and the unfulfilled past of Joshua. And we see this, that uh, he says, take off his filthy clothes. Joshua was cleansed. Yeah. He was redeemed. I will put on rich garments on you. He was clothed. He was restored. He wasn't left clean, but naked. Put a clean turban on his head. He was commissioned. The turban was the office of the high priest. He was repurposed. Chapter 6, he says... Make a crown and put him on. He was crowned and he received an authority from God to be. Everything that he had lost was restored to him by God's grace. This, this universality, this liberality of God that says, I want to use you. And then, and then he, we get the window of truth following the mirror of grace and with this uh, I'll finish he gives him clear instruction in those phrases he says to him and we just find it he says to him I'm going the wrong direction should be going forward not backwards here we are he says this to him Listen. Listen. If you've taken a semblance of inspiration and challenge from the God that I've been talking about this morning as a speaking, testifying God of which he calls us to be prophetic by life and by witness, he calls us first to listen. I unashamedly, this is not old fashioned. In the name of Jesus, I challenge you to review your devotional lives. I challenge you to put your time with God in line with the time that you watch your favorite TV programs or magazines or what information you get from the multimedia. I challenge you. I challenge you that the voices that you hear are godly voices. And not worldly voices. Because the worldly voice will rebuke you. The worldly voice may tempt you, but ultimately it will condemn you. But the voice of God, the voice of the Spirit will enlarge you and will uplift you. And he says, he says, he says he had to hear. One commentator speaking of a great preacher said this. First he listened to God and then he spoke to men. 
I want to be like that. I want to first listen to God and then speak to myself. And then speak to my friends and my brothers and speak to the people that I serve. May we first, Lord, hear from you. And then he says this second caveat, this second instruction. Verse 9, see. See. He says, listen and see. And the Spirit's power to show us the things that we are looking for. If you have got a true hunger and thirst for the things of God, if you have got a genuine desire for revelation, one thing is for sure, friends, you don't look backwards, you look for tomorrows. And see. God's got a divine weather forecast for you. The clouded front has passed. A season of high pressure is coming. Great visibility and the earth is going to be kissed by the warmth of the sun. Make your plans accordingly. You won't need your thermals anymore. You can put your shorts on. Because the future is great. Because we see with the eye of faith what God is doing. And when you've heard and when you've seen, my dear friends you will witness differently. You will speak. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and you have received power that you might be his witnesses. Praise God. Thank you for your patience. Let's just stand for a moment. Two very quick things before we break for lunch. I just wanted to pray, and um, just a sense that, that uh, some of us today um, have come here and we're hungry and thirsting, and we just really do need a touch from God today. We just really do need a refreshing in the Holy Spirit. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hands because we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come. Um, if you are, if you've not got your hand up, but you know somebody who's got a hand up, why don't you just lay a hand on them and let's just pray the blessing of God on them. Uh, Holy Spirit, uh, you are welcome in this place. And uh, after such a, a great message, we come to you with enthusiasm and with expectation that you will come. And I pray, Lord, that you will fill each one who has a need of you this morning, that you will fill afresh uh, to overflowing, Lord, from the tops of our heads to the ends of our toes, that you would come and inhabit us in a way that only you can, that you would release the power of the living God in our lives now, that the power from heaven would come and fill us and, uh, and move us and touch every part of our being to the glory of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And as, as um, John was just kind of winding up there, I just um, felt this, the Spirit speak to me that I felt him say this, that the place that you're going to is not the place where you have been. And that um, I had this uh, picture of a, a, an old oil painting in a little immense frame and um, just felt God saying, I'm, I'm not just going to change the picture, I'm not just going to change the scene, but actually I want to change the frame as well. But, but some of us, uh, maybe all of us, are working with the wrong frame. 
or an inadequate frame, let me call it that, that the framework that we're working with is not adequate. And God doesn't want just to you know, change the picture, change the scenery, but he actually wants to change the frame around it. So you actually, your foundations look different. Does that make sense to you? That your foundations look different. So if, uh, if that blesses you, then I'm God. So Father, we thank you for all of your goodness. Thank you for those great words. And I pray, Lord, that uh, as we have lunch together, we have great fellowship. We pray that you would bless our food and that you would move among us as we share together. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Okay, it's 25 past 12. Let's take an hour for lunch. And uh, do take the time to move some meat and speak to people that you don't know.